0: I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Acts chapter 4. Our text today is primarily focused on verse 33, uh, but it's going to include the context of the entire chapter and some of the events that were taking place in the early church in a message entitled, Giving Testimony to the Resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Son of God from the dead, is central to the Christian faith. And it is the basis for our eternal hope. Jesus was crucified on the cross for our sins. He was buried in a borrowed tomb. And then on the third day, he rose from the dead, fulfilling his promise to do so and solidifying our hope of eternal life. The resurrection story is told in Matthew 28, Mark 16, Luke 24, and also John chapter 20. Each of these present a different perspective of the same truth, helping us understand the depths of what Jesus endured on our behalf and the victory that he won in doing so. After Jesus was crucified, Joseph of Arimathea had Christ's body placed in his own tomb. A large stone covered the entrance, and Roman soldiers guarded the sealed tomb. On the third day, a Sunday, several women, including Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, Joanna, and Salome, went to the tomb at dawn to anoint the body of Jesus. An earthquake took place as an angel from heaven rolled back the stone. The guards shook in fear as an angel dressed in bright white sat upon the stone. The angel announced to the women that Jesus was no longer in the tomb. He is risen just as he said. And then he invited the women to take a look for themselves and then told them to go and tell the disciples and they ran to obey the angel's command. Suddenly Jesus met them on the way and they fell at his feet and worshiped him. And Jesus told them not to be afraid and to go and tell his brothers to go to Galilee and there they would see him. When the guards reported what had happened to the chief priest, they bribed the soldiers with a large sum of money telling them to lie and to say that the disciples had stolen the body in the night. After his resurrection, Jesus made multiple appearances to his disciples and then to larger crowds of people there are at least 12 different appearances of jesus in the resurrection accounts physical experiences of jesus eating speaking allowing himself to be touched and authenticating the fact that he had in fact been raised from the dead today is my 20th resurrection sunday sermon at Cross Links Baptist Church and as I was praying and thinking about what passage I wanted to share with you today my attention was drawn to this particular verse in the book of Acts in chapter 4 and verse 33 as I've already mentioned it's in the context of the early church soon after Jesus gave the great commission and ascended back into heaven and here's what the verse says with great power the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was on all of them. Let me read that again for emphasis. With great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was on all of them. I believe in the literal resurrection of Jesus from the dead, exactly as the Bible teaches. This is the premise that I'm working from in this message, and in reality, it's the premise that we work from every Sunday as we proclaim the good news about Jesus, that God has given us a testimony of himself, he has revealed himself to us through his creation, through his word, and then preeminently through his son, and we believe what God has communicated to us, and we receive it by faith. So in light of this, what should be the testimony of believers to the resurrection of Jesus? How should we respond if we want to follow as these apostles did in giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus? First of all, believers should give testimony to the resurrection with boldness. With boldness. In Acts chapter 4, Peter and John had been speaking to the people the priest the captain of the temple and the sadducees came upon them and they were not happy about the message that was being shared they were upset with peter and john and they didn't like the fact that they were teaching that jesus had been raised from the dead so they took them into custody and yet in the middle of all of that thousands more people believed continued threats were made against them in fact One commentator noted that in Acts chapter 4, there are as many as 11 different individuals or groups who might be identified as opposing the followers of Jesus. So we can say that the threats of intimidation and the reality of persecution was very real to these witnesses for Jesus. Peter and John were brought before the authorities. And what did Peter do? He continued preaching the truth boldly. Boldness is empowered by the filling of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Verse 8 indicates that Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. And as he was filled with the Holy Spirit, we learn in part what he said, beginning in verse 10. Let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. He's of course referring to the healing miraculously that had taken place. And then he follows in verse 12 and he says, there is salvation in no one else for there's no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. Boldness is not only empowered by the filling of the Holy Spirit, but it is empowered by being with Jesus. There's an interesting uh, explanation here of the apostles in verse 13. It says, when those who were opposing them observed the boldness of Peter and John and realized, they realized they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and they recognized that they had been with Jesus nothing wrong with education. We certainly would want to know well the subject that we are communicating or utilizing. Nothing wrong with training. We certainly would want to be well-trained, but I think there's a reason why this is specifically noted by the Holy Spirit in the Scripture. The power of God is not dependent on our training or our education. God uses ordinary people To do extraordinary things. And he does that so that he gets the credit. So that God gets the glory. So that the attention is not on us. And these men had been with Jesus. The word boldness means a lucid and daring statement. It literally means telling it all. It's telling the whole story. It's boldness that acts in courage. By the power of the Holy Spirit in the face of some type of threat. It's a conviction that says that we are more concerned with what God thinks about us than we are with what people might think about us. And when we serve Jesus and we are surrendered to him, we ought to have nothing to fear from other people because our fear is of God. But there's something else here. That boldness that they had and that we can have as well, has to be empowered by prayer down in verse 30 it says now lord look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word and then verse 31 and when they prayed the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the holy spirit and continued to speak the word of god with boldness Understand boldness is a gift from God. It is received through prayer. It is not something that we can work up in our own strength. It is not something that we can work up by our own efforts. It comes to us from the Lord. And Acts is full of examples of boldness. Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly when the Jews reviled them at Antioch Pisidia. In Iconium they were opposed and yet they remained for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord. In Ephesus, Apollos spoke boldly in the synagogue. In Caesarea, Paul was in prison and spoke boldly to King Agrippa. In prison in Rome, Paul proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness. And today around the world, believers face persecution of all kinds. There are places where if you just bear testimony to this crucified and risen Lord, that it could potentially cost you your life. So what is our excuse and what is our reason if we're not bearing witness and giving testimony to the resurrection of Jesus with boldness? May we be as the Apostle Paul was when he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God into salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. Second, believers should give testimony to the resurrection with power. It says in verse 33, with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all. They had great power. So you can think about this great power like this. It's not just great power, it is mega power. The Bible Dictionary speaks of power in this way. It is the ability to do things by virtue of strength, skill, resources, or authorization. All power that we have is from God because he is the ultimate source of power. But they didn't just have great power or mega power, as we might say. They also had great grace. It was mega grace. Great grace was upon them all. Grace is God's unmerited favor. It's God's favor that is evident in their lives, and it's God's grace that can be evident in our lives as well. And you know what the Bible says? The Bible says that God gives strength to the weary, and he increases the power of the weak. So that means whatever challenge we might be facing, whatever obstacle might come across our path, whatever difficulty that we have to overcome, we, as the people of God, are not alone. We don't have to do it on our own. We don't have to go through life in our own strength. We don't have to do it by our own merit. We face these challenges in the power of God and by the grace of God, realizing that God is able. Now there are some things that are true about this resurrection power as it relates to some of the things that God said. The resurrection power that we witness in the scripture validates old testament prophecies that foretold the coming of the messiah and his suffering meaning that what god says he's going to do god always does further the resurrection power confirms who jesus claimed to be the son of god the son of man the savior the long-promised messiah And that resurrection power that was at work in the life of Jesus and stirred that early church to be able to see some amazing things happen, it's also available to us today. I love what uh, Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 18 and following as he prayed for the church. He said, I pray that you may know his immeasurably great power for those of us who believe That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Now, it's also important to note here in Ephesians 1 that there is a qualifier. The qualifier is for us who believe. So the power is not automatically at work in our lives. It is at work in the lives of those who believe. And the same power, watch this connection here, that raised Jesus from the dead 2,000 years ago is available to us now to overcome whatever our weaknesses are. He He didn't say that power is similar or it's kind of like that power or you might have enough power. That's not what he said. He said it's the same power. It's the power that raised Jesus from the dead that is now available to you and at work in your life if you believe. And it guarantees that death does not win in the end. We've just come through a series on grief in our church and we thought about the hope and the joy that we can have even in spite of uh, losing loved ones or experiencing other areas of grief in our life. And the reason that's true is because there's resurrection power. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 55 says, Where, old death, is your victory? Where, old death, is your sting? And what we're able to say when we come to a time like that in our lives is, hey, friends, this is not the end of the story. This is not all there is. This, this life is not all that we have to hope in. This life is not all that we have to focus on. There's more. And the reason there's more is because Christ was crucified and he's been raised from the dead. I love a story that was told by Tim Keller about the power of Christ's resurrection. And he told of a story of a a minister who was in Italy. And while he was there, he saw the grave of a man who had died centuries before uh, who was an unbeliever. But not only was this man an unbeliever, he was absolutely against Christianity. He was opposed to Christ, but he was also a little bit afraid of Christianity because he wasn't absolutely certain that he was right. So as the story goes, the man had a huge stone slab put over his grave so he wouldn't have to be raised from the dead just in case there was a resurrection from the dead. And he had insignias put over the slab saying, I do not want to be raised from the dead. I don't believe in it. And evidently, when he was buried, an acorn must have fallen into the grave. So, a hundred years later, the acorn had grown up through the grave and split the slab, and it was now a tall, towering oak tree. The minister looked at that tree and said, If an acorn, which has the power of biological life in it, can split a slab of that magnitude, What can the acorn of God's resurrection power do in a person's life? And then Keller said this, the minute you decide to receive Jesus as Savior and Lord, the power of the Holy Spirit comes into your life. It's the power of the resurrection, the same thing that raised Jesus from the dead. Think of the things you see as immovable slabs in your life. Your bitterness, insecurity, fears, self-doubt, all of those things can be split and rolled off. The more you know him, the more you can grow into the power of the resurrection. The saving, healing, protecting, justifying, redeeming power of God, it all resides in Jesus. And as believers, we should give testimony to the resurrection with power. We should anticipate when we gather together like this as the church, and as we go out into the community and we serve the Lord and we share the good news with other people, we should live with a sense of holy anticipation that God's going to do something. The, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the power that's now available to us and is at work through us. And we should anticipate that, and we should give testimony to it in power. And then third, believers should give testimony to the resurrection with generosity. Now, admittedly, this is a bit of a turn in the narrative. If you read it, you're, you're reading about what's going on and how they're proclaiming the gospel, and they're doing it with boldness, and they're operating in power, And then now all of a sudden Luke decides to tell us here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in Acts that there was considerable generosity that was going on in the church. So much so that verse 34 says there was not a needy person among them. Now I think the unity of the believers was the root of generosity in the early church. They saw themselves as spiritual family. And because they saw themselves as spiritual family... There was generosity that was the fruit of their understanding of who they were. And remarkable generosity was necessary because the church was growing rapidly. Christians had responded uh, and become believers in the gospel at Pentecost, but then they had been dispersed in different places. They'd gone back to their homes. Persecution had set in, and there were a lot of needs. And the generosity among them was based on the fact that all of them were to work if they were able to do it. They were to take care of their own family members, certainly, as uh, stewardship of of what God had entrusted to them. But then the church was to meet needs. You say, what does this have to do with us? It has everything to do with us. And the reason it has everything to do with us is every individual makes a decision about how they're going to spend their life. Friend, you've only got one life to live. Are you going to spend it on yourself? Are you going to spend it on being the fragrance of Christ in the world? Everybody's got to choose how they're going to spend their life. And everybody's going to be accountable for how they use what God has entrusted to them. And generosity reflects our understanding of the lordship of Jesus in our lives. And it gives testimony to the resurrection. Because if we see that everything we have has come from God, then when we give back to God from a willing heart and we entrust ourselves to God, then he uses our abilities and our time and our resources and our giftings. And it's all used as an offering to the Lord. But here's one of the shortcomings I think that uh, we sometimes fall into, uh, even as believers. We think from the perspective of scarcity rather than from the perspective of abundance. And what I mean by that is we think in terms of a sum total and we are afraid of sharing too much of ourselves or serving the Lord too faithfully because we think we're going to run out. So we have closed hands and those closed hands are all about serving self and making our lives more comfortable and serving whatever our desires are at the moment. When the life that God calls us into as his people is a life that calls us into opening our hands and freely serving God, not thinking in terms of scarcity, but thinking in terms of the abundance of God's grace and God's power. I like the way Cam Miller put it. He said, the economy of God runs on resources that are not finite but create abundance when they're harvested. And the example that he used is the example of love. He says, love only creates more love. And the same is true with generosity. The impulse toward generosity produces an almost miraculous effect, which is to raise the level of trust and ignite abundance where only moments before there was scarcity. Generosity is rooted in our understanding of where everything comes from, and our generosity or lack thereof gives testimony to the resurrection of Jesus or takes away from that testimony. The Apostle Paul wrote to young Timothy at the church at Ephesus in 1 Timothy chapter 6, and I want to read three verses beginning in verse 17. Where he says, instruct those who are rich in the present age not to be arrogant or to set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth. But on God who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them, verse 18, to do what is good. To be rich in good works. To be generous and willing to share. Storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the coming age. So that they may take hold of what is truly life. You know what generosity does for us with our lives? It helps us to set our hope on God. Everybody's setting their hope on something. Um, It might be the possessions you can gather. It might be people that you are overly dependent on. It might be your education or your training or your status in life or the family that you come from. Any number of things, we can put our hope in those things. But you know the problem with all that? Pretty much everything in life can change in an instant. It's fragile, it's temporary. Someone said earthly currency has an expiration date, it may satisfy you temporarily. But it's fleeting. The Bible says that this world in its present form is passing away. But if you put your hope in God, you're putting your hope in the one who is eternal and unchanging. The Bible says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, he's unchanging. So, do you want to put your hope in something? That could slip through your fingers in a moment or do you want to put your hope in the eternal if you live a life of generosity it's reflecting that you're putting your hope in God and God expects us to enjoy the rest of what we have somebody said life is like a coin you can spend it however you want but you can only spend it once God intends for us to enjoy the beauty and the abundance and the fruitfulness of his creation it's all for his glory but we're to be rich in good works that means the good works of our lives ought to be numerous and abundant good works are the fruit of our faith in jesus and his resurrection power in us now i'm gonna say this to you very directly but i want you to hear me a stingy, closed handed life cannot bear testimony to the resurrection power of Jesus. Because a stingy, closed handed life that is not rich in good works is self focused rather than focused on the Savior. People will see God's grace in our lives when we show a life of generosity toward others. And in doing so, we store up treasure for the age to come. What is treasure? It's anything that we value above other things and that motivates us to action. From a spiritual perspective, according to Jesus, wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. That's what you're really valuing. And if you commit your life to be used by God in the world then that resurrection power will be at work in your life. And then finally, I want to bring us back to the second part of verse 33 in Acts chapter 4. And it says, Great grace was on all of them. May the great grace of God be upon us all. Jesus rose from the dead and because He rose from the dead. He will raise us from the dead. And believers will be raised incorruptible and imperishable. We will see the final victory over sin and death and hell and the grave in the resurrection power of Jesus. Gary Habermas is one of the foremost apologists of the faith, defenders of the faith, particularly as it relates to the resurrection and here's what he said. He said, the external evidence of Jesus's resurrection confirms the truth we have received via God's written revelation. What's Dr. Habermas saying? What God said is true, and it's been verified. That's what he's saying. So I ask two questions today as we come toward a close of this message. Question number one is have you come to faith in Jesus believing in his death, burial, and resurrection? I'm not asking you if you're just agreeing with this in your mind that you believe it to be true. That's not what I'm asking you. I'm asking you has there been a time in your life where you have recognized your sin understood the holiness of God and the fact that your sin separated you from God and you came to understand that there was no way that you could make your way back to God on your own there weren't enough good works to do it there was no human effort that could ever make it possible and that God sent his only son Jesus to live and to die and to now live again for you And when you came to that understanding by the power of the Spirit, you turned from your sins and you turned in faith to Jesus and you asked Him to be your Savior and Lord. Friend, that's how you become a Christian is by grace through faith receiving the gift that God has for you. But when you receive that gift, it changes everything. It's not just about a prayer to be prayed. This this is not a religious exercise. This isn't about going through some type of formality or anything else. It's about forsaking anything and everything that you were depending on and placing your faith in Christ and Christ alone to change your life and to make your life useful for God, lived on purpose if you have not taken that step of faith today could be the day that your life could change forever if you'd simply trust in jesus and ask him to be your savior and lord my second question is if you profess to believe that and you call yourself a christian Is your life-giving testimony to the resurrection? Is there boldness evident? Is there power evident in your life? Is there generosity being expressed by how you live? Is there commitment where others would see how you live your life for God And say, that's a changed person. They believe what they say they believe. Or as it's been said, if you were put on trial as to whether or not you were a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you of being one? Would there be enough to tell that you belong to Christ? I say all that for this reason. The Christian faith is not a good luck charm. It's not about going through the motions. It's not about doing your religious responsibility. It's not about throwing up a prayer in a time of crisis. It's about living for Christ. You see, we're at a particularly important moment in this time that we find ourselves living in. Where many have fallen away from the church. Fallen away from living their faith. Fear has overcome it. And they've faded into the periphery. And it might be that God is saying to you today, Hey friend, come out of the shadows and come back over here in the light. Because the light is where Jesus is. The light is where life is to be lived. And today might be a fresh start. God's the God of new beginnings. It might be a fresh start for some of you because today's the day that you come to faith in Christ. And it's the newest of all beginnings for you because you're coming to faith in the one who came to live and to die and now lives again for you. But it could be as a Christian that God is saying, listen, today's a day of renewal. It's not just a service to attend, but it's that God wants to do something in your life that he wants to use your life for his glory. Don't miss what God wants to do in your life and be drawn away by other things that ultimately do not matter. Live the life that God's called you to. And God will get the glory, and you'll get the blessing. It's a win-win in every way. Let's bow our heads together for a moment as we pray. Here in just a moment, Pastor Eric's going to come and sing with us, and we're going to close out our service. If you don't know Christ, and you'd like to accept him by faith in this moment that I invite you to receive the gift of salvation and ask him to be your savior and Lord. It's not a formula prayer that saves you. It's Jesus who saves you, but he hears your prayer of faith. And right there where you are in your seat or if you're listening with us online, maybe God's calling you to himself today. And you know you're not a Christian. You know if you were to leave this world, you'd not go to be with God for eternity but you want to, you want to be forgiven, you want to serve God, you can pray and you can ask the Lord right now in this moment to be your Savior and Lord. Would you trust Him? Christian, professing believer, what's in your heart today? Are you living in the middle of God's will? Are you just going through the motions? Have you drawn away when God's telling you to draw near? Today could be a fresh start for you. God's love for you has not changed whatsoever. But he wants to do something through your life. If you'll trust him. Don't hold anything back. Don't close your hands tightly to a God who has freely given you all things. Open up your hands and your arms to him, and you'll not regret it. Father, we thank you today for this time we've had to be here. I'm thankful for every individual and every family. As I look out and see folks looking back at me, I'm I'm just blessed, Lord, to be able to bring this word and to know that you're working in people's lives. I pray that as we walk out of this place today that we'd know we are loved with an everlasting love, that there is mega grace, super abundant and overflowing in our lives, and that we would live right in the middle of it. Help us to bear testimony to the resurrection in a way that honors King Jesus. God, we're expecting you're going to do something special powerful in the life of this church in the days and weeks to come we are praying for it now just as that early church prayed we pray now god that we would be wholly surrendered to you and that we'd see your power at work to see lives changed and people encouraged and we pray all these things in jesus name amen